Well, you know, there's things that all of us want to talk about these days. There's a tremendous amount of pressure in our society. How do we handle pressure and survive? How do we handle success? How do we handle adversity? We all face adversity at some time in our life. There's different seasons of our life, and we have to be able to adapt to that. How many of you right now listening to this program saying, I have to adapt to this new season in my life? How do I focus? How do I make money? How do I raise children at the same time? Guys, we have such a great guest coming up for you next that's going to touch on all of those topics from a very unique perspective. You're going to want to stick around for this. This is the Turned On Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. All right, and welcome back to the Turned On Podcast. I'm here with my amazing wife, Angelique Nori. And how you doing, Ange? I'm doing well. <laughs> All right. Well, Ange, today we're going to talk about things like pressure and adversity and seasons of life. Um, and I want, I want to start with an enrolling question. How many of you out there can right now think about somebody that you've been friends with for a decade or two, maybe longer, right? And maybe you've moved, but it's that one person you've always kind of kept in touch with. You've Maybe you live across the country, but every once in a while you shoot a text message or you get on the phone and just say, hey, how are things going? They're, they've always been on your mind, and even though you don't uh, seem as much as you used to, you're not in the same town, uh, you still feel like when you pick up the phone, man, like no time has passed. Right, Ange? Yes, and I specifically remember spending a lot of time with our guest and his wife and their first child. Well, we celebrated our kids' first birthdays we together. We did, and marriages. Yep. I remember you being at the wedding, his wedding, and he literally was angry because you didn't want to dance that night because Hip Hop Dave, <laughs> Hip Hop Dave did not show up. David Nori showed up, and David Nori was in one of his moods. Or didn't didn't we have like work the next morning it was, or something? Yeah. I don't know. It was, I was not in my not, A game. He was not on his A game. And speaking of A games, that's yeah. a good that's a good transition here. So my guest um, is a former major league baseball pitcher. One of the hardest jobs ever. I mean. To make it to the big leagues, you know, I was a sports reporter for a long time. And to make it to the big leagues, I mean, it's one of the most difficult things to do. And not to mention being a pitcher because you're out there on the mound solo. Like, it's it's you against the world. So I had known him for probably 20 years. I knew he was a major league pitcher. I knew he had some success. But um, the other day I called him and I said, hey, you know what? I said, I've never seen you really – I've never seen the video. I go, can you send me some stuff? So he sends me this video of his Major League Baseball debut, and I my jaw hit the floor. I mean, he was lights out. And I'm like, I knew you were good. I just didn't know you were that good, bro. Hey, bada, 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 bada. Yeah, and so, so, and so he spent, he spent, uh, he spent the, his career with the San Diego Padres. Um, he's a great friend of ours. And without further ado, let me bring on our guest, Brian Tolberg. Brian, how you doing? I'm great. How are you guys today? 
Well, we're excited to talk to you. And and like I said, I felt like I didn't know that you were that good. And let's let's just start off there. Um, I told you in the intro we're going to talk about how to handle pressure. Um, tell us a little bit about that first start, and then we'll work back from there. But I want I want you to take us to the day. Um, you get the call. And, and your coach says, hey, the manager says, today's your day to start. Just take us through the emotions, and then we'll work back from there and how you got there. Perfect. Well, I have to say, it was not your fault. We got married on a Sunday, so everybody had to uh, to work the next day. We just got a cheaper rate on the hotel. So <laughs> I understand that you guys had to dip out early. So uh, you, I, I don't give you any slack now. I can't so. believe Angelique brought that up even. <laughs> <laughs> she called very me out. distinct memory very it's distinct all memory. good oh i remember it i remember it. so <laughs> so um leading up to i i was uh, a very unparalleled prospect um i was there because i worked hard i i i tried to outwork people more than anything else was never the best player on any of my teams and um in 2000 i was in triple a i was having a really good year in las vegas and my mindset was trying to get a, a big league invite for the following year. I, I wasn't even thinking about getting called up or anything along those lines and was having a really good year in a tough league. It was actually on a Father's Day that I got the uh, notification that I was going up and and uh, had heard from multiple people in the past, like, you know, they thought that something was going down and they were getting a call to advance to the next level, whether it's double A, triple A, big leagues, and it never came. So. I just wanted to make sure that this was a done deal before I got too excited. And Monday, we, we drove from Tucson to Phoenix. My opening start was in against the Diamondbacks at home. And um, I got the chart. Randy Johnson was pitching that night. And, you know, just to try to take everything in, you know, you have a big league uniform. And, and, and you know, the scene from Bull Durham where they talk about, you know, the buildings are like cathedrals and the balls are whiter. And, you know, it all was absolutely correct and everything was more grand scale and so and I had my parents flying in I had my brother flying in I had some friends coming over from Vegas I had some friends that were in Phoenix high school friends that were coming so I thought like long and hard that night and then the day of like I don't want to embarrass myself I'm here for three starts Um, what can I control and so really looking at the controllables and I was like, look, I don't know anything about these hitters. They don't know anything about me. All I have to do, I've been successful up to this point in the season by doing me. And so if I just continue to do that, see what happens. And and if I'm not good enough to, you know, be a, a long term big leaguer, then then it is what it is. Let's let's um, let's take that part right there because what we're trying to do is um I've always thought that sports is such a great metaphor for life. And what mm-hmm. you just said leading up to that part, there's so much pressure. Um, your friends are going to be there, your parents are going to be there, but you said, let me just do me. You know, and we hear that so often nowadays, don't we, Angelique? That, that's almost become a catchphrase. I'll do me. You do you. But it, it's, in a way, though, you said, this is what's got me successful. And you didn't look ahead, and that's a lot of pressure because there's a lot of money on the table. There's what if, what if I don't do good? So sure. tell us, you know, there's that mindset, but you know, I always watch when they go out and they pick up the ball for the first time. And the pitcher kind of tosses it around their head, hand, and you get yeah, you get some yeah. dirt on your hand. And then, I mean, what was the what was the beats per minute of your heart? Well, mm-hmm. down in the pen, I was kind of aware 
like I, I we, you, you get loose on the field and then you get into the bullpen. And I, I was aware of my brother taking pictures from like up above. And I, you know, you try to like zone in and get in your game mode, but you're also like, this is my big league debut. This is something you've thought about since you were five years old in my case. And so I was like, I've reached the pinnacle of what I've achieved, but, but it's like, I've gotten there. Now what do you do with it? And the night before um, I left, we went out to dinner, my roommate in AAA, and he said, this is going to sound silly, but listen to what I'm saying. He said, it's not hard to get there. It is hard to get there, but it's not hard to get there. It's hard to stay there. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of stuck with me that day. And I was like, just treat it like a normal AAA start and hope for the best and see what happens. And so I was pretty composed down in the bullpen. And um, so I went out there. We hit first. We I think we went one, two, three. And then I went out and just, you know, made my warm up pitches. I felt pretty comfortable. But as soon as, you know, throwing it down the last ball down to second base, I felt like I was going to puke on the back of the mound. My heart was racing. And, and you're like, you know, you can tell yourself, hey, just treat it like another game. But, like, this is, like, this is it. Um, and uh, I took a couple deep breaths just to try to calm myself down a little bit and then just went to work. And I, I think uh, I, I had Tony Womack for my first hitter that I faced. And I, I threw a strike one. And I, I think he ended up sharply hitting a ball to third base. And, and he could fly barely threw him out at first base on a routine ground ball. I was like, okay, I got an out, you know, okay, that that's done. You know, who's my next hitter, you know, and just pitch by pitch. That, okay. that was one of the things that one of my coaches in, in uh minor league ball really taught was pitch by pitch execution. Don't worry about, you know, the fifth inning or the seventh inning, just go pitch by pitch. And you, eventually you'll get to where you want to get to, but just really mm-hmm. focusing on one pitch at a time. And, and yeah. uh, I tried to really take that in. Again, that, that's a great that's a great metaphor because mm-hmm. again, how many times do we hear that in Angel League of Business? You know, take it one thing at a time, and and it, people say it over and over again. It's been in every success book. You know, don't look ahead, don't get too big. Take it what's ever in front of you, and and work on that. Right, and here's a perfect example of how that happened. But here's the thing, guys. National League Player of the Week in his very first outing. I mean, wow. I think what you did seven innings and how many strikeouts, Brian? So that that game, um, I went seven innings. I had one hit, seven strikeouts, and um, it, it all obviously worked out. And um, after about the fifth inning, my pitching coach would would catch me when I would walk down in the dugout, and he'd look me in the eyes, put his hands on my chest. He's like, "How you feeling?" And I was like, "I'm good." He's like, you sure? I was like, yeah. And then I'd I'd go get my water, put my jacket on, whatever, and just kind of look on on the uh, sheet to see who I had coming up the next inning, what part of the batting order. And he did that, like the fifth inning, sixth inning, seventh inning. And I came in after the seventh, and he's like, how you feeling? I was like, I'm good. I got one more in me. And then Trevor can finish it in the ninth. He's like, that's what I wanted to hear. But you're done, held a job, whatever. And so then I could kind of, like, decompress a little bit and – I almost liken it to like you have all this pressure in your in your body and then just being able to like like deflate like a balloon like a, a little valve. bit when I yeah. got done. Yeah, and just be able to deflate a little bit. And that's where, you know, I got my ice on. You could feel the TV cameras like focused on you with the red lights on and, and whatever. And I was like, just treat it like, like I didn't want to be the guy that's like saying, hey, mom, into the cameras or just being goofy. I was like, act like you've been there a little bit and, <laughs> and, and be mature and – uh and what was cool was our shortstop that day, Damian Jackson. I saw him the next morning um, 
and he said, Hey, I'm going to tell you something. He said, my wife is, is big into, uh, you know, baseball and she, she's a, she's a baseball aficionado. And she said, when she watched the game last night on TV, she's like, how many years has this guy been playing? He looks like he's, he's like a veteran. And he's like, that's his big league debut. So she was very impressed with how I carried myself or whatever. And that meant a lot to me. I, I remember that to this day. So, and when I look at, at, at the video of the game, the playback and stuff, I, I had never watched the, the big league debut from start to finish um, on TV or anything like that since it happened. And then I popped in the DVD. I have it here. I just never have a reason to watch it. And I watched it with the boys probably two months ago from start to finish. And it, like I could remember like pitch sequences. I could remember this guy's going to get tossed out of the game when he's going to do this or that. And so it, it just brings you back to like yeah. that exact minute in mm. time so uh um they said i was player of the game and so i got on the mic and you know uh was interviewed afterwards and uh you know just just neat experience i don't want to go into boring details for for you but uh you know they gave me a bottle of dom perignon on ice in the dugout or in, in the uh clubhouse and my parents were back in the tunnel where tony gwynn's going in there and talking to him and whatever and so my dad just thought this was i mean over and above me calling him on um, on Father's Day. Him I'm pitching the big leagues. Now he gets to fly out there two yeah. days later and watch me throw a one-hitter for my big league debut and, and player of the game, whatever. So, like, he was, you know, and, and he's been my biggest fan uh, throughout my life, my parents and, and my family. And so, you know, for me, it was more about, like, the experience through their eyes, just, like, all the hard work, all the stuff that, you know, all the days that you came home, um Tired from work, he commuted from Bradenton to Clearwater, um, one of his last jobs. So he's in the car three hours a day, and then you know I'd be sitting there waiting as it's dusk, like, hey, I want to play catch when you get home, um, out on our driveway. Um, you know, I, I knew the sacrifices that he put in and to make the games, and you know when he didn't have to be there, he had other things he could have been doing job wise. And so, you know, for me, it was very gratifying to to be able to show like, hey, this is you know part of this win Absolutely. for you guys. So. Yeah. Absolutely, you know. Um, so he went, Ron. You went two and zero. Oh, your first two starts, you um, you won with a one point two six ERA over fourteen, mm-hmm. which is just phenomenal. So, so here's the thing, and and I, we talked about this beforehand. And and Brian, you're so level headed, even even when you were there in that moment when you could have looked in the camera and you know you said, look, just act like you've been here before. And, yeah, it's very mature, yep. very mature. And and I think here's the thing: we, as we get into the next part of your story, you guys might say, well, okay, Brian Tolberg, I don't know if I've heard of him before. You know, how how does a guy with this kind of start, right? Um, right. And you must have been thinking, you know, hey, this is do I have a Hall of Fame career ahead of me? Am I going to be the next Nolan Ryan or whatever? <laughs> right? But we know we know the bigs happen, and there's injuries and stuff. So sure. Take us, give us the short version of, of how you went from that, because I know you had Tommy John surgery. So, um, and then we're going to get into that next season of your life, which I think is really important. Sure. Well, I, I think uh, I think you get into the big league mindset a little bit, and and you 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 have the possibility of looking at it that way. There was a lot of guys that got called up to the big leagues; they didn't produce within a month or a month and a half, and you never see them again. And so, I didn't want that to be me, and so I just was like, hey, every day I'm here is a blessing. And I was only supposed to be up there for three starts. Somebody else was coming off the disabled list. Well, the guy that pitched the night before my debut ended up getting hurt. So I just took his spot in the rotation. I was up there the rest of that year. The following year, I had Tommy John in in 02. So 
but but part of me was like, man, well, I, I'm here. I, I, I've arrived or whatever. And my dad was my my guy that would check me and and with a dose of realism sometimes if I got a little bit too big ego wise. And uh, and he's like, look, you, you haven't accomplished anything. Like finish the year, and then you can kind of take a pause, take a breath, and and get your head up and and kind of enjoy the fruits of your labor a little bit, but just continue to do what you're doing up there. And I think I was one of the, I, I, I am not a household name. I did not ever care about being a household name. I was like, if I'm the number five starter, if I'm the ace or if I'm the, the guy that sets up, I, I'm doing my job. And if I do my job, I, I got a chance to help the team and, uh, and, and have some longevity up here. And so I, I was very fortunate. I, I think I was one of the top 20 rookies in the big leagues, my rookie year. And, um, even if you didn't, if you looked, I mean, we were in probably, I thought the toughest division in baseball back then, the NL West. And, um, so we were not in the thick of things as far as winning our division or anything like that. So I looked at my individual, um, accomplishments, um, and took them with a grain of salt because it yeah. wasn't, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that we, we, uh, did as well as we could when I, when I played, sure. but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't worried about individual accomplishments or anything like that. So, um, you know, it, it taught me, you know, stuff you alluded to earlier, the adversity, physical adversity, mental adversity, what have you. Um, I got a chance to, to deal with a lot of that, both in the minor leagues and the big leagues. And I think that that helped me later in life as well. So, well, here's the funny part, Brian, uh, and Angelique can attest to this. You know, I know you for 20 years and just a couple of weeks ago, I see this, this reel of you pitching lights out. Um, and as as my friends, they know I was on pros versus <laughs> pros versus Joe's, and I think I showed it to everybody a hundred times. Like I don't want to see it. So you are super <laughs> humble, you know. Um, you are super humble, but th- that's what that's what kept you successful. Um, Angelique, as you listen to this story, you know uh, the next part of I, I didn't know Brian back then. Um, I I I got to know him a little bit after that, but. Um, you opened up a business, right? Cause you, you, yeah. some people, you know, that's, that would be your pinnacle of life. And from everything there on after for some people is just like a downhill ride. But, um, you yeah. took that level headedness that you showed in your first start and you've adapted it and you've applied it to everything that you've done in life. So tell me about that first business that you started. I think people are going to be very familiar with what it was. Well, I, I think it was very difficult. I mean, uh, I think a lot of, not only athletes, but, but, you know, other people, that is your life. That is your identity. And and I was a baseball player. And so when I finally figured out after the 2006 season, I was like, I'm retiring, I'm done. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself. I, I was like, there's a lot of people that, you know, started up in companies and have, you know, become partners or whatever. And and they put the, the time in, I said, I spent 12 years doing baseball and I didn't have a desire to go be a minor league coach or a big league coach or anything like that. I, I wanted to do something else, kind of what I got my de- degree at North Florida and I wanted to do something in the business world, but I had no idea. And, and so it was, it was, it was one of the hardest things I've gone through in my life. And I think uh, the direction uh, I wasn't sure about what to do. And so uh, I called a buddy of mine who was very successful that I played high school ball against um, high school ball whip college against and, he said, you're not going to be a doctor. You're not going to be a lawyer this late in the game. He said, you're, you're going to be successful in sales. So find something you're passionate about, what have you. And so I, we ended up getting into Edible Arrangements franchise, which there were none in, in the Tampa Bay area at the time when we started researching it. And uh, 
I never thought in a million years, like, hey, I'm going to go from throwing a baseball to cutting fruit or dipping in <laughs> chocolate or anything like that. But I got to a point where, you know, I started thinking about everybody likes fruit. It's not a hard sell. Everybody likes chocolate at fruit. So it's like you just had to be a good listener. And so that's really where I jumped in with both feet. I, I just don't like the build out of the business. I knew nothing about hiring, firing, um, uh, QuickBooks. I knew nothing, zero. So I was like, I'm either going to succeed or fail like real quick. I'm going to know. And so I worked like 70 hour weeks. I was the, the customer service rep there six days a week, open to close. I would not stop to eat lunch. Um, I, I was scared to miss a phone call for a, a potential order. So um, I, I had to learn the hard way, like how to do every facet of the business. And uh, in during that, I went through a divorce as well. So that threw me another curveball. There's a little adversity while I'm trying to run a business and, and, and try to figure it out as I went. So there was a lot of things um, there, but I, I, I really realized like, hey, this is a good little thing here. Um, you just have to be a good listener. And so I, I really tried to get really good at networking and, and just listening. I'd go to networking events and everybody would be walking around throwing business cards at everybody they walked by. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do. So this card means nothing to me. And I just have people that, you know, I, I normally would try to bring samples of stuff and they'd be like, man, can you do this, do this, do this? And I was like, I love to think outside the box, whatever is going to generate you more business in, in your uh, whatever you do, talk to me and, and let's see if we can make it work. And that in turn is going to help me make this, uh, make money down the road. So I just tried to be a good listener and um, hear other people's needs. Yeah. And, and if I was good at that, then then other things would happen. And I ended up, um, you know, I, I joined the, the Chamber of Commerce, the Southampton Chamber of Commerce, and we ended up right around like maybe 2014. We won uh, the Small Business of the Year. And again, that's got nothing to do with me. It's just I had a good crew in play. I had a good product, and I just I, I worked the process. Let's um, let's look at I, that. Let's look at that because here's here's another. I, I knew when I when I talked to you that day on the phone not too long ago. I'm like, there's a business conversation here, even though we were talking about baseball and catching up, and sure. you're hitting on these things along the way that I want to make sure our audience gets. You notice what uh, if you, if you watch Brian pitch, and I watched him pitch in that video. He's an, he, he showed the emotion, but not over-emotion. Like, he would get a strikeout, and I just saw this look of determination on his face, and he would give a little bit of a, yeah. You know, I could tell by your body language because I know you. I'm like, that's, that's yeah. But then I, I, I really admired how, how you did keep yourself composed. And then, you know, you could have went off the deep end. You could have said, oh, my God, here I am. I'm a big league pitcher through injury. I'm not anymore. I got married. Now I'm divorced. Uh, uh, and you could have looked at yourself doing, I'm doing edible arrangements, you know? Like, one day I'm, I'm – yeah. I'm in the bigs, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm striking out Barry Larkin for crying out loud. And the next day I'm dipping strawberries. And for a lot of people who have big egos or who don't know how to handle that adversity or yeah. the, the season change. Um, but here's a great lesson. Look, I go into this networking meeting and I'm, I'm a listener and I wanted to know how I was going to do things. And I took that one season of my life for what it was and I was appreciative mm -hmm. of it and I'm still proud of it. But I needed to I needed to focus on the task that was in front of me, just like your dad said, don't get too far ahead of yourself. And now yep. you focus on the task in front of you and you have an extremely successful 
business that you didn't say, hey, I'm a big leaguer, come to work for me, and I'll tell everybody what to do, and I'll sit back and you know check in once in a while. You were the one sure. opening, closing. And what are your thoughts on this? Because you know, Brian, what's the lesson that you think you've taken and that our listeners can take from that? Um, there's a lot of things that come to mind, but the first thing is that he was, I think, just a clearly grounded, connected, you know, person to his identity. And, um, you know, I don't I know how much Brian has listened to our show, but it's faith-based show. So when I think of identity, I think of, you know, the identity that God gives us. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not defined by, you know, our mom or dad. It, you know, our upbringing has a lot to do with th- different stories and things that we could adhere to, you know, our character. But at the same time, like, if we have a true identity and likeness in the image of God, then we have to realize that we're called to a much higher, you know, position than we allow ourselves credit for. And so that requires humility and it also requires confidence at the same time. And that's, that's a really unique balance, you know, to, to maintain because you've, you have to be humble enough to know that when you, when you take a punch or, or in this case, a, a Tommy John surgery and it ends up, you know, retiring you, which I can understand as an athlete, um, not at your level, but I've, I was, I was a, an athlete. I was a professional athlete Absolutely. And, and injuries took me out, you know, and mm-hmm. I went through a very similar identity, uh, crisis. And I didn't know who I was because I spent, you know, a decade of my life kicking and punching for a living. And now I'm supposed to go make money. Like, how am I going to go make, make a living when I haven't used anything else, but my hands, my feet. So, right. You know, I went into sales as well. And I, at the end of the day, like even as a college dropout, you know, I realized like, no, I don't care what a degree says or anything else is like, I'm not going to go and go back to school and try to have a piece of paper define me. I have to remember who I am and what I carry with me. And so I, I took a lot from that story because you, you had, uh, you know, a fierce determination. You had an, an epic discipline. You, you were courageous. You were humble. Um, you were mature and you just said, you know what, I'm just going to figure this out. I'm going to trust this process. I have, to, I have to learn these skills. These are skills I don't have. These are, you know, situations I've never been involved in hiring and firing process, payroll, understanding how to meet payroll, you know, inventory yep. accounts, receivable and payable, all the kinds mm-hmm. of things that businesses require. And you could easily just like, I, I don't do that. Like a lot of people live in a place where they're just saying, you know what, I but I can't do that. I, I I can't. I don't know anything about that. I you know, and we're all we sure. all do that. Or and it's beneath me, you know. Beneath me is another one. Yeah, absolutely. Where you're just like, you know, you're so prideful uh, that you eventually you know, turn your back on another opportunity of a lifetime to win. You know, sure. Like who cares? Like you, you're a winner. It, regardless yeah. of what it was, you you were determined to win, and that's exactly what you did. And and that just goes to show you that God does a, a tremendous job of, you know, humbling us and also giving us the courage. But He cross pollinates every single single experience into an opportunity for us to glorify those gifts. And you clearly did sure. that. It's pretty it's pretty special. Well, I appreciate that, but you know, I, I don't like when people have one foot into something and one foot out. So for me, I was like, I'm either doing this or I'm not, because otherwise you're always going to look for a better opportunity. And, and I had a lot of former teammates that they get, they call me and they're like, Hey, I'm doing ABC. Like three months later, they're like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing this. I'm like, well, there, there's no staying power there. I was like, mm-hmm. I can't ever recommend you to anybody or I can't trust what you're doing because yeah. you're moving on to the next big thing, like two months later. So mm-hmm you got to give it an opportunity. And so for me, I was like, there was, I was like, we're burning the ships. This is it. Like, we're going to figure it out. And 
And, uh, you know, at a certain point, I, I wanted to sell during the divorce time frame. We're bouncing payroll checks. We don't have any money in the account because I'm kind of checked out and I'm letting the, the manager at the time. And I was like, look, this can't happen. So got rid of her, got back in there, got a little dirty and, uh, and made it to what it was. And, uh, and we were, there was in our direct marketing area, there ended up being like 17 stores in Southwest Florida. And we were number one, like 2019 in that area. And it wasn't because I'm brilliant. It was just like, I like to hustle. I like to find ways to sell to people. And so, and I didn't think it was, I'm not selling water heaters, not that there's anything wrong with water heaters, but it, it, it's, it's not a hard sell. Like just listen to somebody, <laughs> what they do, what they don't do. And then they're going to tell you how to sell, how to pitch to them, what, what they can afford, what they can't afford, what, what time of year is, is best to try to hit them up or whatever. And it was just, it was easy. I had a, that sent me over the internet. We got orders for $600 one day like two $300 arrangements, which is a bigger arrangement uh, mm-hmm. for us to sell. And I looked at this, I'm like, holy smoke. So I called a woman, it was for a, a business delivery. And I said, hey, what time of day do you want these? And she's like, whenever. And I was like, well, what time? I was like, I want to make sure these are perfect for you. And I said, how often do you do these? And she's like, why are you calling me? I was like, <laughs> I want to make sure this is perfect. And she's like, well, people don't normally do this. I said, well, I'm not normal. So I said, <laughs> and that ended up, being like a $20,000 for that year uh, because they were a, a leasing company and they set new move-ins for their buildings over by International Mall. Mm. There's like four buildings that they oversaw and they sent ones to anybody that had an wow. anniversary. Anytime there was a new move-in, they were spending minimally $100 for each one that they spent all the way up to like you know two 300 bucks. So I just wanted to over-service people like that. And, you know, if I could do that, then they would recommend me to other people. And that's, that's how I, you know, I, I just looked again, I'm not brilliant by any means. I was not the best. I was not, you know, people could tell you to the, the penny, how much it costs to make an arrangement up or whatever. And I was like, that's not me. That's not how I'm wired. I'm just, I'm a big customer service person. Like I love Nordstrom where you could wear a shirt for two years and then you return it. They'll give you your money back or store credit or whatever. I was like, that, that. And people don't abuse that, I, yeah. you know, over and above you know, the quality and the yeah. customer service is going to be there. And I said, that's really what I want to bring to the table for this business. And, uh, and we were fortunate. I had some good people working for me and we had a very, um, drama free for the most part time that I was there. I just, I, we, we did it for 14 years Wow. and, uh, and it was, it was a great experience. I learned a heck of a lot of life lessons and business lessons in that, but, I did not have an exit strategy, um, never. And then when COVID hit, I was like, man, this is going to be, we, we talked to a broker at the time to kind of pivot. Cause I was like, I don't want to be 75 working mother's days, jumping off trucks and whatever. And, and my kids are a little bit older now. And I, you know, I didn't want them to you know, feel left out certain time frames. My mom, my wife had never had a mother's day. Even when I first started dating her, she, you know, was in banking and she would come over and help me for Mother's Day and for mm. Valentine's Day. So she never had a true time that was, you know, uh, for her and, and, you know, to glorify her for the day and such as a mom. And so I'm like, I don't want to do this. And we, we got a good deal. Um, we were the first one in Camp Bay Area to really sell of, of the group. And um, and we got a good deal. And then I'm like, I love baseball. I, I you know, that's kind of what I've pivoted to now is, you know, I, I did lessons on the side. I, it's funny you mentioned like talking about baseball and, and having people work for me because I was baseball. 
like I didn't bring that up at all. The only only thing I had a picture of me pitching on the wall. And uh, when you first walked in the store, I used to have it up when we first opened. And the only reason it wasn't to, to glorify me was just if somebody walked in and they saw it, they're like, why do you have a baseball player? Or if a kid came in with their, their parents, you know, with just an icebreaker to be able to talk about stuff. And I got lessons from that kind of stuff. I, I actually donated the first lesson that I did to like a church function or something that was, you know, they wanted an arrangement um, certificate. And they're like, oh, you played baseball. I was like, I did. Yes, ma'am. And um, they're like, man, well, why don't you donate a like a pitching um, a lesson or something like that? I was like, I don't know if you'll get any money for it, but I said, I'll, I'll do one. And I, I donated one for this function and the person called me and we did a lesson and I loved it. I was like, you know, but I was like, I, I can't do lessons. I was like, I'm not a name here. It's Dwight Gooden or Lou Pinella or Gary Sheffield. Those are the guys. But then the longer mm-hmm. I went, I'm like, well, those guys don't do lessons. They, they don't mm-hmm. need to do lessons. So I'm like, so I'm like the next best thing here. And, and there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are willing to take your money and not give you any value. So I was like, as long as I give value, then I'm, I'm, you know, let me try this. And so I just started doing a couple. And this was when we lived up in like North Tampa. I was still running the business. And I do like, you know, m- maybe one or two a day. And that's blossomed into like five or six hours a day of doing stuff now. And, uh, you know, trying to open up a, a bigger facility here in the near future. And um, it, it's baseball has opened up a lot of different yeah. opportunities for me uh, to travel internationally. I've been over to the Middle East several times. I've been to Hong Kong several times. Um, I played winter ball. I went to Northern Spain for MLB alumni. So just, just to not only talk about the game of baseball, but, you know, just talk about life. I mean, right. I, I tell people I got to the big leagues because I had good grades. I mean, you know, I say, why do you think I got to the big leagues? And they'll say, well, you threw hard or this or that. I was like, no, I had good grades. And they give me a weird look. And, and I tell them, like, I got to college because I had good grades. It wasn't because I was a, a, a really polished athlete. I was athletic. I had some upside to me, but I was a good student and they knew that I could get athletic and academic money. So, and they knew that if you're uh, somebody that focuses in the classroom, then you're probably not going to be an issue on the field as well or away from the field. So that ended up turning into a full ride for me uh, for college. And so let's talk about that focus. Sure, sure. Yeah, let's talk about that focus because um, a couple things that I see Angelique and I, when you spoke about, the edible arrangements and over over delivering, we see such a lack of that these days. Mm. Everywhere we go, we're we're almost floored by it because it's almost it's almost a sickness or a disease in our society where people just are giving the minimum effort yeah. and and sure. even in service related things, you know. And we they don't realize how much of business is word of mouth or or who's the one person that you over deliver to that changes your business like that one lady did. She's like, "Why are you yeah. calling me? Why are you doing this?" Oh. Yeah. Guess what? I'm going to give you twenty thousand dollars in business this mm-hmm. year yeah. because you treat people um, and you give them a little bit extra. When you're saying this, um, one person came to mind. Um, everybody asked me as a reporter, like, who was the best interview ever? Who was the nicest? Who was the worst? And I mm-hmm. always it, it goes back to a vivid memory of Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner, yeah. um, Kurt Warner was coming off the field in Tampa Bay on a Monday night game, and this is the year after they won the Super Bowl, and he had just had a terrible game. He got beat up. And um, he stopped and talked to me. I'm a nobody reporter. And he takes off his helmet, answers all my questions, and he says, anything else? I'm like, nope. And he puts his helmet back on and trots off the field. Now, years later, I'm watching Kurt Warner of Football Life, and this is where it relates to you, Brian. Um, 
one of the most amazing things, and I we did vision boards. And Angelique, do you remember I put Kurt Warner on my vision board yeah. that year? And you go, why is he on your vision board? And I said, I just watched his football life story on ESPN or his NFL network maybe. And I said, the one thing that stood out is coaches, trainers, uh, former players, anyone who was associated with this man said there was one thing that you couldn't tell the difference in the way that he showed up for work the day after he won the Super Bowl or the day after he got benched for Matt Leinart in Arizona. Like he showed up with the same attitude and I was like, whoa, it just, it hit me in the face. Wherever you are in your business, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. And if, if you wear your emotions on your sleeve, like I'm a passionate person and sometimes that gets to me, or even in your marriage, if you wear your emotions on your sleeve, um, you know, you have to be kind of level headed and, and look at the big picture and be able to step back and show up the same way day one whether you're in a big league debut or day one uh, opening up your edible arrangements business. Yeah. Well, and, and you never know who you're going to, going to come across. I mean, that that's, you know, it, it all goes back to very simple thoughts like treat, rule, treat others like you want to be treated. Like I appreciate places that treat you the way you want to be treated. And you look around and those places are very successful typically, whether it's a, a restaurant, whether it's a, uh, store, whatever the case may be. And it's like, and those people are going to attract more people and more success in, in long term. And so for me, like, that's how I've, and my dad ingrained in me a long time ago. He's like, you're not the best player on, on this team, but you can outwork them and you can out hustle them. And, and, and that's one of the things. So when I got to pro ball and I'm sitting in my first little pitching group in spring training in 95, like I'm looking around, I'm like, that guy signed for you know a million dollars. That guy's the third round pick. I'm already talking myself out of how I'm not going to make a team because these guys are more for all the prospects. And then I was like, but my dad said, you know, go back to those words of like, out hustle them, out work them, out work them, out work them. And so I was like, and and one of the things my college coach again, I, I'm I'm drawn towards people that you know expect a lot out of you and and um hold you accountable in life and he said coach guy named Dusty Rhodes um he said look at the end of the day do not leave this game with regret he's like that is the worst thing you can leave this game with leave it on your terms so whether that's after college whether that's a couple years of minor league ball 10 years in the big leagues do everything you can to to leave the game on your own terms and so I you know and after the first year my my uh, big league season i might have told you this dave uh, last time we spoke but um i'm spending the some time home at, at, at my parents house after my first year in the big leagues and uh my dad said hey can i can i tell you something that i i don't want it to hurt your feelings and i was like yeah what's going on and he said i didn't think you were good enough to play professionally mm. i was hoping you got an opportunity to for your sake because i knew that was your dream but i didn't think that that was going to be a reality and I told him, I said, look, a couple things, Dad. I said, I just wanted to play professionally so I can get a baseball card made of myself. I was like, so I could show my kids down the road and go, hey, your old man played a year minor league ball or whatever. And if anything else over and above that happened, that was gravy in my mind. But that's really what drove me was I want to, I want to get a baseball card because I had friends that their dads played, you know, in the big leagues uh, growing up in the Tampa Bay area or minor league ball or whatever. And I was fascinated by that. So I was like, that's minimally that, that anything above that. And I said, secondly, you know, at the end of the day, I just tried to take what you said, outwork people, outwork, hustle, 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 be focused on what you're trying to get done. 
And I said, so you're my biggest supporter in life. If I can show you and impress you over and above what you thought I was capable of, I was like, that makes me feel happy. I, I'm proud of that. I was like, that doesn't hurt my feelings. I was like, I got to a point when I was a kid, I think everybody looks for positive reinforcement. Um, I just talked to uh, a graduating fifth grade class here locally mm-hmm. at one of the elementary schools just about, you know, I was like, look, I- I'm going to tell you a couple things. Middle school sucks. I was like, middle school is the most uh, unenviable time in your life because your body's changing, your mind's changing, you have more responsibilities put on yourself. I was like, it's it's a rough three years. I said, so just get ready for that. Work on your, your uh skills, uh, time management skills. I said, and the third thing, learn how to be your best cheerleader for yourself and your biggest critic too. Because I said, you're going to have people in, I said, everybody wants positive reinforcement, but I said, you're not always going to get that. Even from your parents, you may not get that. I said, I, I, for that as a kid, but I said, but I not, I didn't always get it, but when I got it, I loved it. And I said, but when I got older and I realized like, like my coaches, Viewpoint of me means nothing. That, that's not going to dictate my success in, in this game or in life or in this season. But I said, but my thoughts of myself is absolutely going to dictate it. So I was like, you got to trust and believe in your own abilities. Once you lose that, how is anybody else going to have belief in what you could do if you don't trust it? And I just saw Brady said something along those lines as well when he was uh, interviewed here recently. But And I think that that really sticks with me is like, like you believe it. If you don't believe it, then you need to put more time in Amen. so that you do believe it. And every, so if you, everybody's no, going to second guess themselves at some times, you know, like people, sure. I always look at even the top achievers in, in any industry. And I'm thinking, you know, people think that these people are Teflon, like they wake up every day with an S on their chest and they never have down sure. days or, or, you know, I, I look at my wife, Angelique, and I look at all her accomplishments and stuff. And there's, there's some days where she needs to be pumped up. And there's some days when yeah. I need to be pumped up, we go through this season and that's why, I think it's important to talk to you because I I noticed that about you, that you're level-headed, and I noticed over the years that we've spoken that you've always had this ability to um, to kind of step back and look at things from a perspective um, with emotion, but taking the emotion out of it and saying, where am I going to be next? Mm -hmm. And and that's why this next part, when we talk about coaching young men, um, we'll start Mm -hmm. off with your own own children, and Mm -hmm. you said something to me the other day, you said, you know, I just won a championship coaching my son's league and mm-hmm. he's what, 12, 10, 10, 10, 10. And eight. right. Boys. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you said, um, you know, the emotion of winning that was equal to or greater than that day when I stepped on the mound for the Padres for the first time and won that. And, and that, yeah. that, that says a lot, you know, so tell me about that feeling, um, and explain that a little bit. Well, I, I think it's, um, there were times when I was in the minor leagues that my dad would come visit me. And, and I remember this very vividly. We were up in Wisconsin in the single a baseball game and I was pitching and I knew where he was sitting. And there was a time of the game where I started to scuff a little bit. Maybe he gave up a couple hits consecutively or whatever. And I just happened to look up in the stands and I didn't see him where he was sitting. And so that kind of stuck with me and I got done with the game. I ended up having a good game, but I, when we were leaving, I said, Hey, I said, you got up during the whatever inning that I started struggling. I was like, where'd you go? Were you in the bathroom or whatever? He's like, no. I got up and I started walking, pacing around the concourse. And I was like, why? Because I can't help you. He's like, he's like, go out there and help you get through that little you know, rough patch of the game or whatever. He's like, and you're, you're powerless sitting in the stands. 
So he said, you'll see when you have kids, like you want to help your kids and you want them to be successful and whatever and not struggle. He's like, it's, it's tough to deal with. He's like, that's how I do it is I get up and I walk and I pace and whatever. And so I was like, I got you, whatever. I was like, but they're not going to execute me or they're not going to release me after the game if I struggle in an inning. I was like, so I know, you know, worst case scenario, I give up a couple more hits, they take me out. You know, I, I live to fight another day the next day. Best case I get out of it. So I was like, so he's like, you'll see just from a, a parent perspective how, how that's tough to deal with. So I remember that. And we I've been his coach, both of their coaches from like T-ball on up to we play what's called minor A now. It's all kid pitch or whatever. And to be able to sit there and, and coach them up, but then games, it's, it's on them. It's him and his teammates to do their jobs and execute properly. And so, you know, my heart, like, I'm going to have an ulcer from, from coaching these kids. I, I never got this nervous, you know, during the season typically, but like watching these little knuckleheads, you know, 10 years old and just kind of learning the nuances of the games and seeing them execute to be able and, and have the pressure of like whoever wins this game is winning the championship. I mean, we just got through All-Stars, and you see just that little bit of added pressure, like how it can make a kid full tent pretty easy mentally. And But to see all these kids, like, with it, gave their best effort, and it was just, like, so neat to see. And so it's just so incredibly proud of them. And, like, you just get this uh, – like, I never did drugs growing up or anything like that, but, like, like that extended elation, that like that emotional high, that's what I felt in the big leagues, my, my debut, when I won, it was like, you're just on cloud nine for like five hours. Like it's, and, and then when you come off it, you're like just so emotionally drained. I was like, that's because we got done. We went to yogurtology with the team and the parents and got ice cream and took pictures or whatever. And I was like, this is what that feels like. I was like, it is. And I told the kids, I said, does this feel good? And they said, yeah, like you can tell like big smiles and, and guys that hadn't contributed much in the early part of the year were key contributors towards the end of the year. And I was like, does this feel good? And they're like, yes. I said, it gets addictive. I said, the harder you work, the more times you're going to be in these kind of positions. And I said, so remember how this feels. Cause I said, it's fleeting guys. It, there's some people that will never win in, in these kind of situations. But I said, but the more you guys work individually, cause we're not all going to be together in the future, but remember how hard you work individually and as a team. And if you can do this, you know, throughout your life, you're going to be very successful. I was like, you know, maybe that's time to talk about that kind of stuff or whatever, but like, those are like, uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to prepare my kids yeah. for success in life, not just in baseball, whether they stick with baseball long term or not is totally up to them. But it just, it was a very gratifying feeling. And, you know, both of them made the all-star teams respectively for the 8U and 10U this year. And I got to coach, I got to manage the 8U team and you know, and I told him, I'm like, hey, you're probably going to play right field and bat eight. And he's like, all right, you know, didn't have a, a big ego about it or whatever and had a blast. And it was just, it was a lot of fun just, just seeing the game through these guys' eyes. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to have some very good influences growing up, but people that did not know much about the game, they just, you know, they reinforced taking quality reps and, you know, hustling and, you know, just generic mindsets. But, made you successful yeah. so I was like man if I can teach you what I got you know and, and just to be hard-nosed and stuff and if you can do that and how to deal with failure how to deal with success I, I talk to people all the time like baseball is one of the hardest games in the world it really is I mean if you hit 300 you failed seven out of ten times and you're considered like a very very successful one of the best hitters I was like there's no other professions 
that, that you could fail seven out of 10 times and keep your job, let alone be thought of yeah. as a success. And so for me, like to, to teach these kids that kind of mindset, like it's okay to fail. It's, it's expected. Uh, and, and I tell, you know, my sons all the time, I'm like, if, if failure is tough for you, this is not the right game for you. I was like, go join a chess club or, yeah. or, or do something else. But I was like, but you got to know that failure is part of this game. And I used to punish myself. Um, I didn't have a game up to my standards, what I thought. And we had a day off the next day and all the guys were going golfing. I would, I would like say, no, I'm not going golfing. I, and I would just sulk and I would, you know, kind of beat myself up mentally because I don't deserve to go have some fun. And, you know, you do that for a, a significant amount of time. Number one, I'm not a good teammate looking back. So, and it's a tough game to begin with. So, like, when I was like, look, whatever the flip switch, and it was around double-A, triple-A, where I was like, this, I'm not having fun. So, leave it all out on the field. Learn from your experience of that game so that I can practice it in preparation for the next game. But leave it at the field. When I learn how to do that, um, and, and that's one of the things I try to impart to my players that I work with is, you know, the first thing I ask them is, hey, how did you guys go do in the tournament? And they're like, oh, we lost. I'm like, I don't care about how, how did you do? And they're like, oh, I, I did okay. I'm like, that doesn't tell me anything. How did you do? Give me two or three things that were really good. And, oh, my fastball command was good, and, and I turned a double play, and, and there was a bunt that I fielded and made a good play. Great. What do we need to work on? Because I said, if you're just always worried about the, the, the results and not the process, I was like, you're never going to be satisfied. And your parents are never going to be satisfied. So I was like, you have to – that's where the learning comes from. I think you learn so much more in your defeats than you do in your wins. And so for me, I'm like, no, no, that's a great learning experience right here. Like, you got your butt kicked. You didn't make it out of the second inning. What was wrong, though? And you can't say, well, I wasn't good because that, that just scratches the surface. What's a little deeper? Yeah. Was my fastball command bad? Was I falling behind and I got into hitter's counts? Did I not put guys away when I had two strikes? Did I walk guys? Was I, you know, aggressive in the zone? So I was like, so when you can learn to dig a little bit deeper, now you know when you're in these situations in the future, you know how to be successful in those situations. And so, I, you know, you can talk about, you know, the mechanics of it, but I, I, I think, you know, the, the – Space between your ears is so important in the long-term success in this game and in life. And so, so that's, absolutely. I love talking about it. I love, you know, uh, seeing the light come on for kids. Let's talk, let's Uh, talk about kids because you, you know, what we didn't talk about is you were, you were the pitching coach for the 2019 state championship team in Tampa, Tampa Jesuit, who's ranked number one nationally. I mean, that's a, that's a high level program. So you're getting a chance to see your son eight and 10, and then you're yep. coaching these young men who are uh, 15, 16, 17, right, at, at the Tampa Jesuit, uh, a nationally ranked school. So let's talk a little about work ethic and the generation, what you see from parents. Um, we always like to throw in that term helicopter parent. I In coaching, I saw two things. I mean, I mean in reporting, I saw two things because I spent most of my time uh, covering high school baseball. And I remember one time I went to this game and this, this pitch, I mean, this catcher – he was the best catcher on the team, and he had a lot of big-time uh, universities looking at him. And it was a playoff game, and he and I think he went like one for four at the plate, you know. And Ooh. afterward, his dad comes up to me and says, hey, you know, this wasn't Javier's fault. And I'm like, um, and he's trying to influence me, right, because mm-hmm. his son had a lot riding on this game, and, and son laid an egg. I mean, he was one for four, and he's the best player. And, 
And I was like, how can you say it's not his fault? Well, part of it's not his fault when he's the best player on the team and he goes one for four, you know, and he had a couple yeah. of errors in the field. And so we yeah. saw players, um, parents really take an influence because there's so many kids now who this is big money. And and yeah. what happens is the parents see a payday there. That's the like their lottery ticket, and and that's pretty scary. Yeah. And at the other part is the other part. The opposite side is, oh, you know what? Everybody gets a trophy, so it really doesn't matter. And that's not how you and I grew up. You know, there's there's right. a there's a healthy spot in between there where we learn about competition. So tell me what you see, and and where's their hope for this next generation? Sure. Well, you bring up a great a lot, a lot of great points there. Um, for me, I, I love Jesuit. I, I, I started working with a couple kids that, that um, just graduated, actually, when they were like nine years old. And so for me, I worked with some kids from Jesuit when I did lessons, but I, I was not affiliated with them. And then when these kids were coming in as uh, eighth graders, incoming freshmen, they had a team. And I was just like, I went out there to the tryouts and I said, hey, this is what this guy does well. This is what he struggles with. This is what he'll need to get better at. I helped with the tryout, you know, run a 60-yard dash stopwatch a couple times or whatever. And uh, I said, that was a lot of fun. You need help. And he's like, I don't have a pitching coach right now. So, you know, if you want to try that. So I did it in the fall. And it was just it was just such a fun outlet. It's not your kids. You can speak frankly with them. Um, they're a little older, a little bit more mature. And like you said, there, there's a lot of, uh, I think, not only at, at, at Jesuit, but there's a lot of schools that, you know, they've been given everything. They're the better kids growing up in Little League or whatever. And I'm like, I, my job is not to continue that. I mean, I'll tell you if you're good. I'll tell you if you suck. But my job is to get you prepared for the next level, whether that's getting drafted or whether that's graduating and just going to college or getting a chance to play in college. So I was like, I'm not going to, you know, be your biggest cheerleader. I'm going to tell you, like, this is what – you tell me what you want to achieve out of this game and I'll tell you we'll work backwards on what you need to do to make that happen and, and a possibility not even a reality and what you said about you know days I, I find like there's a lot of parents that maybe weren't as successful as they would have liked to have been growing up and they live vicariously through their kids now a little bit and the kids suffer as a result um, or, or get mentally burned out and, and just don't enjoy it anymore don't have the passion for it anymore and so for me I try to just be realistic with the kids' expectations and the parents' expectations. So when I work at Jesuit, we won, we won the 2022 state championship as well this year. So two out of four years, we won states, which is which is a pretty cool uh, experience to be a part of. But, you know, I, I, I just try to – with I, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. We have multiple coaches out there, assistant coaches. So I'm in charge of the pitchers, and so – one of the biggest things I try to do is just kind of dig a little bit and uh, mentally and, and, and what do you want out of this game? What are you trying to uh, achieve that you haven't up to this point? And then, you know, if they say, well, I want to be drafted and they throw 80 miles an hour and they weigh 150 pounds, I'm like, well, how is that going to happen? Is it wishful thinking or is it going to be where I'm going to put the time in to make that a possibility of happening down the road? And the kids that, that you go here, here, here's what you need to do and they run with it have been super, super successful. Some of the kids, they put a little bit of time in and they say they see a little bit of, of, uh, of um, success come their way. But most of the kids, it's like, well, I'm asking you to do something outside your comfort zone. It's like, but you told me what you wanted out of this game. So I was like, so you're either wishful thinking or you're willing to put in the time because everybody wants that. I mean, there's, there's stats out there. And 
and I, when I talk to groups uh, at, at events, sometimes I'm like, how many of you guys out of high school, if it's a middle school, how many of you guys want to play in high school? Every hand goes up. Out of you guys, how many of you guys want to play college ball? Every hand stays up. Out of you guys, how many of you guys want to play professionally? Every hand stays up almost. And I'm like, the, the numbers are the numbers. I was like, very few of you guys will play high school and even less will play college. And there may be, out of 150 kids in this room, maybe two that get a chance to play minor league ball. I was like, those are the numbers. I'm not trying to squash your dreams because I was sitting where you were sitting many years ago. But I was like, but those are the numbers. Those are the stats. So what are you willing to do to make that a possibility? Not even a reality, but a possibility. What are you willing to forgo? What are you willing to, to you know, strive for and, and get in the weight room when nobody's there and patting you on the back for, you know, good job, Johnny? Like, because that's really what separates the, the people that want it. And like, I call it grinding. I like, I love to grind. I embrace the grind. And some people hate the grind, but then when they learn to grind and then they see the success that comes from the grind, then they go all in. But, but it's like showing them like, cause you're not always going to be the best. I mean, you're going to, you guys are going to get a, we had in the 2019 team, I think we had 16 kids sign college scholarships off of Jesuit, which is unheard of. I mean, that's a ton of kids, all different levels, but at the end of the day, I'm like, but you're going to suck one day. You're going to suck for a long time one day. you got to know how to, to deal with that mentally, physically, not changing your process, stick to the process. I was like, so those are some of the kind of things that I try to, to bring to the table for these kids to think about. And um, you know, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, but I, I think some of these kids understand. And then when they get to the next level, whether it be pro ball or college, they kind of hit the ground running. And it's not such a shock to their system because we've had that discussion and, and they know what's expected of them a little bit more so. And, and they have a little bit more success down the road as a result. So, yeah. I mean, we, we, what you've reiterated throughout this thing is trust the process, do the things, do the little things. And, and yeah. these, Brian, these are things that are in, you know, every single self-development book that I've read, every seminar that I've been to, these are the things that the pros talk about, whether it's pro baseball player or, 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 you know, Richard Branson or, or someone like that. It's, Sure. Um, it's the things that maybe we uh, in this in this highly reward uh, society where people want instant gratification. That's a big thing that we talk about. It's a big thing that I talked about in my book that just came out is that we want instant gratification. We want to know that when we post something or when we do something that we're praised for it um, before really mm-hmm. we've actually worked for it. And then what happens yeah. is when you get it so quick up front, then you're like, oh, we already got the reward. So I don't need to work right. hard. I mean, think about that, guys. In your whether it's your business or it's with your kids, right? Um, whether it's even something silly, you know, as as a as a Instagram post for your business, which we deal a lot with, is people will put something up or they'll say something, and they need that automatic, um, like almost instantaneous uh, feeling that hey, it's good, or I'm going to praise you for it, and then there that's the juice. And then there's no work behind it. And so right. when you see that in sports, it's easy because, you know, if some kid goes out there and has a great game or like you did, the, you know, the first the first pitch is a strike, right? Well, it's what have you done since then? And, and how are you right. going to keep yourself composed? And how are you going to grind, like you said, trust the process? Because it's, you're, you're not going to be looked at for, for one inning or one pitch or even one game, you're going to be looked at for what you did in life. And that's why sure. if, if we look back over this, and I said at the beginning, you know, there was success and adversity, and then you 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 paralleled that to um, another business where you had success in that, and now it's, now it's the 
pitching that you've had success in that, even even something as serious as a divorce. You know, what what didn't go yep. well there? What can I look at? Sure. And now you have a wonderful relationship that's that's stronger than ever. And and so that's a season of your life that you could have said, well, you know what, I'm just going to find someone who who just fills me up instead of someone who who really uh, is my life uh, partner. So the the marriage is there, the 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 business has been there, but the thing all along has been this level headed approach of you know what, if I'm going to make something successful, I got to put in the time, and I got to I got to be uh, not emotionless, right? Because you're you. You wouldn't Absolutely. consider yourself emotionless, but you you know how to control your emotions and how to get the prize at the end rather than say, I want instant gratification. Well, sometimes my wife would like me to show more emotion. She's like, you're like a duck and stuff rolls off. I was like, that's why we balance each other because she's Latin and she likes to be emotional about stuff sometimes. And I'm like, there's times where I will be and, and she knows when those times are. But I'm like, but but I like to be level-headed and you remember, you remember when we were kids, the choose your own adventure book? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so I feel like life is like a choose your own adventure book. Like every experience you have, good or bad, you should learn from it. And, and, and what really bothers me is people that continue to make the same mistakes in life and they blame somebody else. It's like, there's a common thread in all of the things that are going wrong and it's you and you have to be able to take, take some, uh, take some ownership of that sometimes and, and be able to look at yourself in the mirror and go, I need to change what I'm doing. That, that's why I'm getting the same results. I'm doing the same thing. So I need to be able to change some things. And I, I think if, if like we we're, we're hard on our kids. I was, I think it starts at home. I, I really do think it starts at home because you know, if, if I think my, if I think little Johnny's the best and I have a coach that is not worth anything, but he tells me Johnny's the best too, I'm going to keep throwing him money. Even if Johnny's not getting any better, I wanted to be, and I tell parents from the get-go, I was like, you don't have to pay me if you don't think I bring value to your kids, period. Like, I'll give you your money back because there's enough of you guys to go around. So I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste your money. There should be some value involved. And, and and I think that that's very powerful. If if more businesses had, like, a money-back guarantee in life, the customer service aspect would be way different. And, and so, you know, that's – I just I, – I, I think to your – something you alluded to earlier as far as how do we break that cycle i think it's it's just an overall mindset as a as a citizens we just we got to expect more from ourselves uh, you know i i've been over to hong kong before when we did an event over there and i'm talking to the one of the the guys that ran it with us his his daughter was like eight years old and spoke three languages and i was like whole like like mandarin chinese which is not an easy one to begin with uh, and I'm like, do you know how successful she's going to be in life because she speaks three languages? And they were they were very disciplined in what they do over there. It, like the educational aspect of things is so focused on over there where it's not here. It's, well, you don't make a certain SAT. Well, let's just drop it down so that everybody feels good about themselves rather than going, no, we're going to raise it up higher. So if you want to go to these prestigious universities or get in, you got to make better grades. It's asking more out of the kids, not less. Because then everybody's just average. And then you get to a certain point where nobody sticks out because nobody's willing to do the work. I, I, I love doing here locally. We have the Great American Teach-In. So I do it for my two sons' um, classes. And I have a couple other friends that, that are teachers that I go do theirs. And I love doing it. I mean, I'll talk about the baseball. I'll talk about edible rains. I'll talk about, you know, whatever I'm doing at the time. But, like, one of the things I do is I go around. I go, what do you guys want to do when you grow up? I was like, you guys are in second grade. 
So you got all the time in the world to figure it out, but what do you want to do? And, and this last year that I did it, um, I asked, and there was like eight people that said they want to be veterinarians in this one class. And I was like, I was like, let me ask, let me stop you guys right there. I was like, all noble professions, teachers, astronauts, pro, uh, professional athletes, whatever. I was like, there's 10 people that said they wanted to be veterinarians in this one class. I was like, how many veterinarian clinics do you think are going to be in Tampa Bay? I was like, not 10. I was like, and that's one class of people right here that 10 people. I was like, so the next class over, there may be five there. So there may be 200 people in this whole school that want to be veterinarians. I was like, how are you going to be successful being a veterinarian in this area? If you want to stay in this area, how are you going to make money uh, being a veterinarian? Somebody said, I got to work harder than the other people. I'm like, exactly. I was like, if you remember that, I want to be successful. I have to outwork people. I said, if you can do it, have, keep that mindset and you believe it, the ups and downs of life, the curveballs life is going to throw at you, but never stop believing in yourself. I was like, you'll be successful in anything you do. And I said, that's why, and I feel very fortunate. I feel very blessed that everything I've done has, has opened up doors for other things in life. Um, the, the travel or the experiences or the money to be made or whatever, I, I get to do what I love to do. I, I'm not working a job just to pay my bills or whatever. I love doing, and, and I've had it where I had no money in my account, like literally less than a thousand dollars in my account, owning edible arrangements. And I've had times where, you know, I had money to buy a, my dream house. And so it, 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 I've been to both sides and I, I've never lost that like grind mentality just because I think if you get satisfied and you get complacent, um, that's where things start to go downhill. And so for me, that's, that's one of the biggest things I try to, and my wife is, you know, that was one of the first things we talked about before we even had kids was what's your parenting style? Like, how do you, and she was raised very similarly to me as far as like you grind and if you want something, you beat them out and you outwork them and whatever. It's not like, well, you deserve it because you're so-and-so. No. So where, and, and we check each other. We, you know, good cop, bad cop sometimes or whatever. But for me, my first year when I when I coached them both in T-ball, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I, I really don't. I never coached before, so I'm like learning again, like edible arrangements, both feet in and figure it out as you go. And um, like you know what, I'm gonna feel like I'm successful if if kids come back for the second year. If they go, that was not fun, mom and dad. I don't want to play baseball anymore. And there were kids that I was like, that kid ain't coming back. He came back. So for me, I felt successful after that first year of coaching them. And, you know, and I think there's, there's indelible things in your mind that you remember, you know, you meet Kurt Warner, you're probably more of a Kurt Warner fan or whatever. So, you know, we go to Rays games, we go to Jesuit games, I want them to just have these memories. And so, you know, and I pepper it in there like, hey, if you want to go to Jesuit, you have to have good grades. Hey, if you want to play for Jesuit, you have to be better at this, this and this. So they know, like for me to be successful, I mean, we gave you the genes. So, you know, hopefully you're on the right track there to start. But it's your work and your dedication. What are you willing to commit to it? And so I just want to give my kids specifically an opportunity to be successful, but they're going to drive that. Um, they're going to drive that. And um, it's funny. You, you see like successfully as clues, Dante Bichette's a, a buddy of mine here that I played in a couple tournaments with, got to know over the years. And it dawned on me one day that he had two sons that were first round draft picks. So he played for umpteen years in the big leagues with success. So I pitched against him when he was in Colorado, but I called him one day. Said, hey, he's like, what's up? I said, I got a question for you. And he's like, what's going on? I said, it just dawned on me. You had two sons that were first round draft picks. 
Yeah. And I said, you know how rare that is? I said, looking back, I said, my kids at the time, a couple years ago, they're like six and four. I was like, I'm not looking for first round draft picks. But I said, but you looking back, what did you do to make that a possibility? I said, is there anything when you look back? And he started laughing to himself a little bit. He's like, you're going to be swimming upstream. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, we didn't play travel ball. We didn't play year round. Like there was family time. So summer times we went on trips. We did this. We did that. He said, middle school time frame, there were times where I was like, hey, you want to go hit? And they're like, nope. And he's like, all right, cool. And then he went and go did something else. So he's like, I let them drive it. He did. As soon as they got to a certain age where they took accountability, I let them drive it. So what I could do for you, you just tell me how much you want to work. And they both committed to it and, and, and ran with it and obviously had some good genetics as well. And, you know, and I he's like, but you're going to be the – exception to the rule i was like i already feel like that in like little league because i don't want to play year round i don't i don't want to burn my kids out i don't want to get them injured so i was like i already feel like that a little bit but we just tried to you know and, and my kids are not like you know trying to be miss the popular mr popular or whatever i was like just, you guys just be you i want you guys to have your own personalities and relationships or whatever but both of them made straight a's this year for the first time um so, so super proud of them in the classroom, and they both excelled baseball. I could see where they, they ramped up what they could do on the field. So I just want to be a positive, motivating force. Um, and it's hard because I, I want to win. And, and But there's there's times where, like, I got to reel back the, the competitive nature a little bit and go, hey, did you guys have fun? Yes. What was fun? What do you think we could – and, you know, when we get into – I bark sometimes. But, like, I don't want it to be where, like, I told them in T-ball, I'm like, I don't need a trophy if we don't win. And they're like, well, everybody gets a trophy. I'm like, this will be the one year then. I was like, I want the trophy to mean something. I was like, I don't want it to just be where they throw it away and they forget about it. So we did away with trophies after the first year in T-ball. I was like, if we win, then we'll get trophies. If we don't win, then we'll have a pizza party and be done with it. So I was like, that's that's how I, I do it. So Yeah, we got, a, um, we got a Coke and a hot dog. That was it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So for me, like I, I want it to mean something, and I want them to strive to win that. We just got um, beat in the All Stars, and I'm like, they were a little grittier than us. They were fundamentally a little bit more sound. They probably took a little bit more quality reps than us. But I was like, but that's not something we can't overcome in the future to beat them in the future. So, so I, I love it. But but when when we, I, I'm a big like after the game's over, shake hands, whatever, down on the line, take a knee. What do we what did we do really well today, guys? And I let them answer. I don't answer. Um, if I need to answer, I will, uh, like to compliment what they uh, supplement what they say. But I'm like, what did we do really well today? Just because I want them to be aware of what what they're doing. And then I say, what do we need to get better at next practice? What where does our focus really need to be? And and I may say, well, in addition to that, what about this? Oh yeah, yeah, that's too, coach. Blah blah blah. So. For me, I, I think that's where you start to have the accountability and, and knowing, you know, individually and collectively, what do we need to do to get better and such. And that's really where I saw the culmination of that when we won the, the championship this year. And it was it was a lot of fun to be a part of. And, you know, and that, that's what I try to bring is just, you know, have fun. But, you know, I, I want to beat you. I was like, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, there's going to be one winner, one loser. There's not a tie in baseball. There's so. nothing wrong with winning. I mean, we need to, we need to teach winning. You know, I mean, you can't just be satisfied with with hey, I, I showed up and I participated. Like that's why they call it a participation trophy. There is no participation trophy. There's certainly not in life. You know, 
There's certainly not a participation trophy in life. You you have to play, and and in, it's funny because in my in my book, my last chapter, and uh, it very another time when I remember reporting, um, I wasn't there, but it was during the time that I was a reporter, and I remember watching the press conference. It was with Herm Edwards. And afterward, they asked him, you know, is this was this a moral victory for for your team because they had lost? And he's like, what? And and he says, I said this specifically. He says, hello, like wake up. He's a hello. You play to win the game, and he just kept repeating that over and over. And I used that in my last chapter of my book for 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 teaching about marriage, for teaching about business, and teaching about life. Is you know, there are really sure there are going to be some moral lessons. But if you're looking yeah. at things like, well, uh, you know, it was, it was okay, you know, that's not going to be a great marriage. That's not going to be a great business. You have to play to win the game. We have to put the emphasis back on winning. Winning is not a bad thing. You know, just Absolutely like not. you've heard the old quote that, you know, losing isn't, you know, you, you don't you don't go everything with on losing, but you don't get too high or too low, right? Right, right. And, and that's what makes a great pro. That's what makes a great person in business. That's what you've shown us over this last uh, couple uh, interview minutes here is that you can't get too high or too low, but you always have to strive to win and say, what can I do better along the way? And you've said it over sure. and over again throughout this interview is what did we do good? And, and, and in my coaching, when I teach people how to speak up, the first thing we do is say, what did that person do good? Cause someone will give a speech and I'll say, okay, mm-hmm. now we give them positive feedback. What did they do good? And they have to, and that's the easy part for most people because they love giving positive feedback. But then I say, okay, well, now you have to ask that person if you can give them some constructive criticism. And then it gets real quiet sure. because nobody sure. wants to be criticized. But we have to. And they said, well, I thought they did everything a good. And I said, no, that's not true. You no. know there's something no. that they can improve on. And you ask for their permission, and they will say yeah. yes. And we're all big yeah. boys and girls. And that's where this really grows. We have to get Absolutely. positive feedback. And then we have to say, what can we do better? And that's a great coaching program, whether it's baseball or whether it's teaching people how to uh, articulate their vision and business? Well, people that want to work on what they're good at as a player. I was like, even, I was like, who's the, I, I tell people, I'm like, who's the best player on the planet right now? I said, for me, it's Mike Trout. You think Mike Trout goes to the ballpark and doesn't work on anything? I was like, he may think, well, my secondary leads from second base are not very good right now. So he's always working on something. that That's what makes him the best player on the planet right now is that will to get better on a daily basis. You're not you're not happy with where you are. I said, so you you have to work and, and be patted on the bat like, hey, oh, he did the, you know, like you just said, you know, he did the whole speech really well. No, there's parts of things were really good, but what could be better? And when you are constantly, and, and like, no team is ever going to be undefeated, like in, yeah. a, in a big league season. So you're going to lose games. But did we give our best effort and get beat by a better team that day? I was yeah. like, that that's the only thing. If you give your best effort, you'll I'll never say boo to you as far as like we could have done this better, or whatever. If you give a good effort and they were just better that day, right, then you can hold your heads high. But if 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 we can get better, that's where the focus needs to be in between that next game that we play. And and if you strive to play a perfect game, then there's not a lot of teams that are going to beat you. Well, let me not ask at all. Let me. This yeah. is an interesting question that w- what we can focus on here. And this is a, a different sport. It's golf, right? And I heard this analogy, uh, this story about Tiger Woods, and I want you to relate it to baseball. And you tell me as a coach if you think this is is worthy. Um, so supposedly back in the day in Tiger's heyday, you know he was the best uh, driver, you know monster mm-hmm. driver off the off the tee, and he was a great yep. putter. 
right? Um, they said the one thing that he he wasn't the maybe the best at was his short game, like some of the chipping and stuff. So he would always work on that and work on that. And then he said that he had a coach, and the coach came to him and said, hey, you know what? He's like, you know, you you can't be the best at everything. He's like, you want to be you want to be good at chipping. You want to be good at that intermediate game, you know. But you don't. You're you're practicing too much, and you're taking practice away from your strengths, like which is driving and putting. And and sure. you have to still practice your strengths to be the best at that because that's what got you here. Does that make any right. sense from from a professional coach's standpoint? Or does that Absolutely. sound like it holds water? Absolutely. Um, I, I look at it a little different. I I, I say, what are your strengths? to a player because if I don't know my strengths then how am I ever going to continue to have them be strengths and I said what are your perceived weaknesses and I said the reason I say perceived weaknesses is because I could say I don't think your changeup's very good and you think it's really good so I need to look at perceived weaknesses and, and try to make them into strengths they may never like my changeup that that big league debut that's never in my career was a strength of mine my, my strength was my command my curveball my fastball command both sides, that was my strength. It was always going to be my strength. But if I could get those perceived weaknesses a little bit better and be more confident in those, who knows what that could do to my career. So I agree, you continue to keep your strengths strengths. But if I just say, well, that's a weakness, so be it. Like guys that throw hard, if they don't have a breaking ball, for instance, and they just rely on the fastball, and then they have shoulder surgery or elbow surgery, and now they never have that velocity, well, now I can't adapt my game because – I never worked on those other weaknesses, my secondary pitches or anything. So for me, I always tried to like, well, what's my weaknesses? And I would, I would search people out talking about just both the confidence and stuff. Like everybody wants to pat on the back the participation trophy when you're young. But at the end of the day, when I got older, I was like, I want to hear people say, I'm not good. I can't do that. You're going to fail. Like when I got traded to San Diego in the minor leagues from uh, Milwaukee and they, they said, I don't think you were good enough to, you know, the guy told me straight up when I got traded and, and Milwaukee was not known for a great big league team at that point, but they're like, we didn't think you were going to be good enough to make that triple A team for Milwaukee. And so right away I was like, man, I suck. And, you know, I got no chance of being successful in San Diego. I found out like Dave Stewart, the guy that used to play for the Oakland A's was a dude back in the days was the guy that wanted me in that that um, trade and he said I saw you in double a last year and you grinded a little bit and you, sometimes you didn't have your best stuff but you found ways to win without your best stuff certain days he's like I like that that showed me some moxie and whatever and I remembered that so I asked for you in that trade and I think in the next couple of years you're gonna play in the big league sports so here I'm looking at myself as like I, I'm terrible I, I can't achieve certain things and then perceived weaknesses of myself and he's looking at it a totally different way so I was like dude like let's go like like let me let me rock and roll here and and so for me like it was like every off season was you know look at take stock of how you did and then what can I do better moving forward and uh and, and be better at um so that I can be a better pitcher in the future and and you know and, and those were not things that I did at a younger age you know little league or high school necessarily or even college for that matter but when I got around people that were a little smarter a little bit brighter in that realm I was I tried to be a sponge and I tell guys I'm like look everything I tell you is not going to pertain to you take snippets of it that work for you and, and remember it I was like try to be a sponge and then you know ask anybody if somebody says I want you to you know stand on your head before you pitch don't be afraid to ask why like how is that going to help 
And if they don't have a good reason for it, I said, anybody that tells you to change what you're doing and, and you ask why and they don't have a good reason, then don't change. I was like, there should be a why to why you change what you do. Otherwise, there's, there's, sometimes there's coaches, unfortunately, that want to be associated with somebody. So they're like, well, I taught them how to do that. And it's like, I don't want you to change what you do, whether I tell you something. If I can't explain to you effectively why you are going to change something, then don't change. Yeah, that's good advice. So, that's real good advice. I, I, I think that there's, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of information. I mean, we grew up without YouTube or the Internet or anything like that. And, and there's so many people that, you know, are, are quote unquote pros now or, or teachers or whatever. And it's like, you know, not that you have to play at a high level to be an effective teacher, but you shouldn't kind of know what, what you're doing a little bit. And um, th- there's a lot of snake oil salesmen around, uh, I'll say, nowadays, especially with the advent of the Internet. And um, just just do your homework as a parent. And, 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 you know, when people ask me parent-wise, like, should I play travel ball or should I do this or do that? I was like, what's most important? Is it winning and losing? If that's most important, then then, then go the, the travel ball route or whatever. I was like, if it's to have fun, you can still – I was like, for me, it's who runs the best practices and who's going to develop you the best because at the end of the day, when if you get to Jesuit, I'm not going to care who you beat at 12 years old or what your record was or what your batting average was. I was like, it's irrelevant. I care if you're a good teammate. Are you a good student? Are you projectable with what you bring to the table, even if you haven't hit a growth spurt yet? Um, do you have a, a, a foundation of how to play the game the right way? If I have all that stuff, if you check all my boxes, even if you're not a fully, uh, I mean, they, they all come to you as, as little giraffes, baby giraffes um, when they're, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade. But I'm like, but if you understand how to play the game, and that's what I'm trying to do with, with my kids so that, you know, they're, you know, several years away from possibly being a Jesuit, I want them to be prepared fundamentally and know, how to, you know, do a double cut, how to do a rundown, how to bunt properly. If Because once you get to, like, the high school level and beyond, like, like finding, fine-tuning some things will happen, but you got to know how to play the game. And, and I don't think that that is being taught at the lower levels in Little League or Travel Ball. It's all about did we win a trophy. And you can win a trophy and blast it on Facebook or social media. And it's like, well, how'd you do? Well, I went one for 12 and uh, I played two innings. Well, did you get better? Yeah, you got this trophy, but did you get better? And if you say no, then you wasted, you know, that time that you could have gotten better. So, you know, for me, it, it's all about development. I mean, that's minor league ball. College ball is all about player development. So why are we not focusing on that? I, I played down in Bradenton, as you know, um, in, in Little League and Boys Club and high school. And Sarasota was right next to us. And looking back, they were national powerhouses when we were playing. And we never thought collectively that we had a chance of beating them. You know, if we played them 10 times in a season, they'd beat us nine out of 10 all day long. And looking back, I was like, why? And, and uh, some of the guys I played against during that time frame that I held really high regard, I asked them what they did differently. And he's like, we, we lifted earlier than other people did, like in middle school and into high school. And, and there were certain fundamental things that, that were taught in Little League. So if you wanted to play at Sarasota High School, and you were in a little league that feed that feed into Sarasota High School. You better know how to do A, B, and C, and D. And and the high school took part in teaching that as well. So there was a collaboration, and that, that would happen there. And so for me, I'm like, well, that's Sarasota. Sarasota's a great program, always been a great program. But I'm like, Tampa Bay's got a lot more people that we can affect here. So that's for me. 
whether it's travel ball, whether it's little league, whether it's, you know, whatever, Cal Ripken, like teach the game the right way and, and the kids that want to listen will benefit. But the success is going to breed more success. I say that all the time. So, you know, iron sharpens iron or whatever that, that saying is. So for me, I'm like, you know, we win at Jesuit. We're going to have more come through the doors next year and we win again we're gonna have more talent come through the people want to go where people are successful and so but if they start to look a little bit deeper and they go well, why are they successful it's how we do things Amen. it's not because we have the best players because you can have the best players and be an underachieving team you can see that at the at the highest level all day long you can have the biggest payroll and and finish third in your division that doesn't guarantee success so you know for me it's, it's how you play the game and and team chemistry and there's a lot of other things that, that come into play so for me you know if, if you can understand how those things um, dictate your success for long term and teach that at the lower levels the success will come uh, so and, and I, I'm like if you want a trophy I'll give you a trophy my wife <laughs> wants me to clean out some of the old crap that I have anyway here yeah. so I'm like I couldn't tell you how many games I won or how many innings I pitched at 11 years old or whatever I was like it's irrelevant worked hard yep. i had a great time with my teammates i made a lot of good memories that i can look back on and and it prepared me for high school and and you know summer leagues and college and beyond and i was like and that's really what i'm trying to do for your kids i mean make memories enjoy the ride but ultimately where do you want to go in this in this game and then you can kind of work backwards on what you need to do to achieve that so well, that's right. It's all been about success. It's been about persistence, uh, facing adversity, the seasons of your life. But the one thing I think that we got from this interview as we wrap up here was um, always, you know, putting in the work and doing the things that maybe um, aren't as flashy, aren't as fun, and then being able to reinvent yourself and and always see what's on the table, guys. Whether it's in business or whether you're playing sports, whether you're the parent or whether you are the student, um, the life comes down to putting in hard work making sure that you're doing the little things to be successful and and then realizing that there's always another day you got to fight. So, uh, Brian, I know you said there's a book in you. Um, I'm looking forward to see when that comes out. Guys, uh, I think we could take a lot away from this interview here. And what we see right now is the world needs more people who are ready to win, but more importantly, ready to put in the work to win and what that means. So get out there and work hard. We want to thank our guest, Brian Tolberg, and we'll see you next time on the Turned On Podcast.